It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Welcome back, everybody, to our podcast. We are diving through the book of Habakkuk. That's right, the Old Testament prophet who prophesied just before the fall of the southern empire, the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk was a unique fellow. He was a man angry at God for all of the injustices that he saw going on in Judah in those days. He had very little understanding of what God was doing, but God's about to set him straight. He's made his two complaints, and God has set him straight on both occasions. Now, Habakkuk has told God that he thinks Judah is more righteous than these Chaldeans, the Babylonians, because they're savages, and the people of Judah, well, they are the people of God after all. Now, he was wrong, he thought, for God to judge the people of Judah because they were better people than the people who were going to be coming and attacking them. So last week, we saw that this was not true, that we are not righteous because we do what we think is right. We're not good people because we set our own standards and then live up to our own standards. We are only considered righteous if we do what God expects of us, and the only way that we can do that is through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So today we are in Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to continue with what God calls the five woe oracles. These are five oracles where he uses the word woe. Woe is a word that is terrible. It means destruction. It means devastation. It means that terrible things will befall. Judgment will befall. When he declares woe on a person or on a people, this judgment won't be overturned unless something dramatic happens in the life of that individual. So God's going to explain his plan for the Chaldeans. They've been rightly called savages and barbarians, and to the eyes of the people in Judah, they were terrifying. But God is going to judge them, but not immediately, and he's not going to stop the fall of the southern kingdom, because as the other prophets have been saying, this fall is preordained by God Almighty. He delivers these five woe oracles to the prophet Habakkuk, and he wants to explain to Habakkuk how God himself will punish these Chaldeans, this enemy of Judah. He will punish them, but not until after the 70 years of captivity under the rule of the Babylonians has been accomplished. Now, the basis of their punishment will not be the righteousness of Judah. It will be their own evil actions. It will be the consequences of their own doing. For these five things, God will condemn and punish the Chaldeans. We're going to see them right here tonight. It should be noted, however, that everything he held against the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, all those crimes for which he would judge them are crimes that many nations in our world today are guilty of. As we go through them, 
Think about the nations we see in the news. Think about the peoples that we see out there. Think about the genocide that is happening, the slaughter of innocent Christians around the world. Think about the rebellious and violent actions of some nations against neighbors only to take over their land and property. The first thing we see right here in Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, the first crime he holds them guilty for is the crime of theft. Habakkuk 2.6 Won't all of these take up a taunt against him, speaking of the Chaldeans, with mockery and riddles about him? They will say woe to him. There's our first woe. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer and loads himself with goods taken in pledge? Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them as you've you know, taken them as spoil in the past. Verse 8, Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you. Because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. This can be said of so many nations in our world today. I think of what's happening in the Ukraine. I think about all of the violence that's happening there and how the consequence of such actions will always come back home to roost. We look at the things that were done during World War II by Adolf Hitler's Germany, and he paid for that and his people paid for those acts of violence and aggression. And it's happened so many times. Now consider this. It's a, it's a prophecy of woe against the Chaldeans, against the Babylonians, against those who have taken and seized cities and peoples. Consider that the city of Babylon itself fell to Cyrus the Great in 539 B.C. Now, historians say that what the uh, people of Cyrus did is they dammed up the river Euphrates and they marched under the water gates on the Euphrates River. They marched into the city by night. And when the people of Babylon woke up the next day, the, uh, the people of Cyrus the Great were already among them and they had lost the city without really a battle or a siege. It's an incredible thought to think that, that God gave Cyrus wisdom. And in that wisdom, he simply dammed up the river and the gates extended from the top into the water and below the water line to such a depth that they thought no one could possibly get underneath it. But with the river completely dry, they marched their troops underneath those gates and right into the city. Now the city of Babylon fell from the world stage and it never rose again, just as the prophet Isaiah had foretold. Isaiah 45, 1 through 6, uh, from this very same time period, it says this, Thus says Yahweh to his appointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break into pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that I Yahweh, the God of Israel, who call you by name. This is very important. When God calls you by name before the day of your birth, before anyone even knew you were going to be there, when God calls you by name, he has given you an appointed task. And by saying this, he has identified to Cyrus just exactly what his task was. 
He says, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I, Yahweh, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you through you. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, from from the west, and that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. There is no other. An amazing, amazing passage in Isaiah. He literally, before the before the time of Cyrus's birth, names him, calls him the conqueror of the Babylonians, and he says, you're going to do this. Now, it's kind of interesting that if you look at the story of the take of the taking of the city itself that what happened was that this scroll of Isaiah was delivered to Cyrus when he entered the city of Babylon by a very old and very dedicated servant of the Babylonian empire named Daniel yes Daniel now in an advanced age had lived long enough to see the fall of the Babylonian empire now he gave this prophecy to Cyrus upon entering the city he wanted him to know that it was God who gave him the victory it was God of heaven who made him victorious and it is later that Cyrus will say I have seen my name I have seen this written therefore I know that this God of the Israelites is the one true God and he will then send the people home back to rebuild Jerusalem, back to rebuild the temple. An amazing feat. And if you think about it, absolute positive proof that God is at work throughout history because the prophecy is made by name long before Cyrus is born and before the fall of the Babylonian Empire. So let's keep going. So the first thing we've seen is theft. He accuses them of theft and that theft will lead to their destruction. The second thing, interestingly enough, is he accuses them of destruction. Habakkuk 2.9 says this, the second, Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high, to escape from the reach of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the walls and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. A terrifying picture of what will happen because the Babylonians, these Chaldeans, have destroyed so many, they will suffer the same destruction. This can be found detailed in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, Daniel 3, 4 through 7. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace we all know how that one wound up don't we therefore as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music all the peoples nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar had set up this is the kind of arrogance this is the kind of self-centeredness that he set up for himself that's why the very stones will cry out against the worship of a false god against those who are not gods but those who proclaim themselves to be that so first he he rails against this theft thieving nations and their wealth, then against this 
uh, destruction that he's wrought on all these other nations. And they said that they will suffer for that. The next thing he talks about is injustice. Habakkuk 2.12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. We all know that in the Hebrew culture, blood would defile a place or a sanctuary or a city. In fact, after the, the slaughter of innocents in the temple of God, it took a, a cleansing with hyssop and a cleansing with, with chemicals to wipe away the stain of the blood that was in the temple so that it could be rededicated afterwards. Bloodshed defiled everything, and that's why God told them, upon going into the promised land, do not defile the land with innocent blood. That's not blood that is shed in warfare or not blood that is shed in fighting, but innocent people being killed and taken advantage of. That is what defiles a land. And if that defiles a land, it, it defiles a nation. And it defiles this nation because we have too much innocent blood being shed in America today. So if they held the Babylonians guilty for this bloodshed, I wonder what God will think and do and say of the United States of America with all that's happening here. Verse 13 says this, Is it not from the Lord of hosts that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? They're out there doing all this to no end. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. In the future, there will there be no, no need to go ask, hey, how can we find out about God? Everyone will know. His name will be throughout the world. His knowledge will be throughout everything. And that day is coming, and I can't wait for it to get here. If we look at this and we think about injustice, Proverbs 11, 1 through 3, it says, A false balance is an abomination to Yahweh, but a just weight is a delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there is wisdom. So pride and arrogance, which were the hallmarks of the Chaldean people, of the Babylonian army, this pride, this arrogance would lead to a disgrace. But when they were humbled, when they were humbled by the invasion of Cyrus and he broke them down, then they would find the wisdom of knowing that no man is God and that no man can rule over the world and rule over the God of heaven. So that, that knowledge is coming. And people have to be able to bow before the real God of heaven and not the gods that we've set before ourselves on television, gods of wealth, power, success, fame, glory, whatever it is that people are seeking after, those things do not lead to justice and righteousness and wisdom. We keep going. The next thing he decries is this, immorality. Immorality. There's a word you just don't even hear anymore. People don't talk about what's moral. They talk about what's acceptable. And that's not the same thing. God determines what is right, what is wrong. Some of the things that people fight for in our country today, some of the issues they fight for are immoral. They are against the morality that God has set before us as the right thing. Consider this, Habakkuk 2.15. Woe to him who gives his neighbor's drink, pouring out your wrath, 
and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. This, is, of course, is a reference to the Old Testament when uh, Noah became intoxicated after they had uh, gotten off the ark. They replanted grapes for the first time. They harvested them, and they had that new wine. And basically, he became intoxicated and un- unveiled himself. And he, he showed his nakedness to the, to the world in that day, and that was considered a great uh, disgrace, a great embarrassment. It says, you will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision, showing your immorality, showing your I- immoral behavior. If you look at the way people act at a party where there's a lot of drinking, people say things that they normally wouldn't say. They do things they wouldn't normally do because alcohol impedes your ability to make a decision. It impedes your ability to understand when you've gone too far or when you are are treading dangerously close to making really bad decisions. And working at a university, I have seen people the next day who desperately regret going past that line because when your head is so swollen and so painful that you can't go to class and you can't focus in class, it's a bad thing. So there's a lot of wisdom here if you want to look at it. It says, The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. What you think makes you look great, what you think makes you look powerful, that will that will be nothing because when the Lord's right hand, his hand of power will come around you will see what true glory is and you will be embarrassed. You will be ashamed. Verse 17 says, For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image a teacher of lies, for the one who crafts its shapes trusts in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Here he's talking, of course, about the false gods of the Babylonians, false gods of the Chaldeans, the gods that led them into victory, the gods that led them into warfare, the gods that led them into debauchery and and other types of behavior. I mean, Literally, the ancient peoples had a god for everything. Uh, when, I, when I look at this and I think, oh, you're talking about drinking and carousing and, and behavior that is unbecoming, you think about the, 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 the Roman god Bacchus, the god of revelry and debauchery and drunkenness. And, and people who would follow this particular god uh, lived a, lyri- a very questionable lifestyle, if we, want to, if we want to call it that. But now consider this. Isaiah also comments on this in Isaiah 44, 13 through 19. Isaiah says this, The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in the house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. You know, stoking the fire, creating a fire for his home. He warms himself. He rekindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god 
and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and he says, Deliver me. For you are my God, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut his eyes that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten it, and I shall make the rest into an abomination." Shall I fall down before a block of wood? I mean, Isaiah was just dumbfounded that people could take something as simple as an oak tree and, and cut it down. And then you say, you know, this half over here, this looks good. I can, I can use this as kindling and I can cook. I can make my food. I can warm my home because it's a tree. It's useful for that. But hey, this chunk over here, pretty good looking. Let me fashion that into a god and I can worship this log that I cut down and that I shaped by my hands to look like I wanted it to look. Isn't that what we do in America? Don't we uh, philosophically, theoretically, don't we create a God that pleases us? Don't we say, my God would never do this and my God would never do that. My God wouldn't say no to this and my God wouldn't say no to that. Isn't that how we fashion God? Somebody was told me, my God would never judge somebody for not believing in him. And I said, really? And what God is this? Where did you read about this God? What text, what sacred book showed you this God that will not judge you? And they'll go, no, that's just how I see it in my mind. I said, that's it. This is a figment of your imagination. This is something in your head. You've not read about it or seen it or experienced it. And that's how people live their lives, based on what they think is comfortable, what they think is good. If you create a God of war, then you can go to war and, and kill and slaughter and murder and do anything you want to because you have a God of war who makes that possible. If you have a, a God of fertility that allows you to go out and do anything you want to with anyone you want to, anytime, no consequences, then that's the kind of person you become. You become like that. And it's very, very disturbing to me because he finishes in Habakkuk 2.19 and he decries idolatry. The very last and the most terrible of all sins because in the Ten Commandments he said, I am the Lord thy God. You will have no other gods beside me. You'll make no images of me. Why? Because I don't have an image. I don't have a likeness that you can carve. You worship me in spirit. You worship who I have revealed myself to be. That is it. When God tells us who he is, that's what we worship. Idolatry, Habakkuk 2.19. Woe to him who says to the wood, I love this picture. Woe to him who says to the wood, wake up. Or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. You know where God can be found. This is before the temple fell. This is before the destruction of Jerusalem. There is still a house of God to which they could go. And he's encouraging them. God is in his holy temple. Let everyone on earth be silent in his presence. 
people while there's still time, you need to go to a church where the word of God is lifted up, where it is explained explicitly, where it is simply told to you, shown to you, where you can open up the word of God and read it. And that is the God you should worship. That is the God that you should trust. Psalm 135, 15 through 18 says this, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. Man, today is that true. We worship silver, gold, bitcoins, stock, uh, different portfolios. We worship everything that is material that we can see and touch and hold. Well, guess what? A holocaust would exterminate, would remove all of that. All of that physical stuff could be destroyed in a heartbeat, in a fire, in an earthquake. So the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands, the work of the human imagination. Any TV show you watch, any news program, you're looking at the work of human minds, limited by what they know. It says they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. What do you trust in, America? What do you trust in world, whether you are in Russia, Ireland, Singapore, China, wherever you are, what do you trust in? Do you trust in political leaders, education leaders? Do you trust in people who stand up and say, hey, we have to rebel against this and we have to embrace this, now that this is right and anything that you can think or anything that you can feel is okay, is that who you trust? Do you trust the wealthiest? This was a tragic week in our world. Five souls went two and a half miles down into the ocean to a graveyard called the Titanic. They went to the bottom of the ocean where no living thing should be. And a tragic, horrible terrible thing happened. In a moment, in an instant, five people entered eternity. But were they ready? Did they know the God who would be greeting them? Did they know the Savior who was waiting for them through the veil of death? Did they know? Because if our God is true and living, if he is the God of Mount Sinai, if he is the God who spoke the Ten Commandments, if he is the God who parted the waters, if he is the God who prophesied, I will send Cyrus. And after 70 years in captivity, after you have paid for your sins, after 70 years, I will send you this man and he will send you home to me. This is the God I believe in. This is the God I have faith in, the God who has revealed himself on every page of Scripture in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ. I tell you, these five woes could easily be pronounced against America, Canada, Russia, England, Ireland, Scotland, France. They could be proclaimed against Turkey, Iran, Iraq, or any other nation on earth, we are all guilty before the God of heaven. And I tell you, consider this warning. This was given 
to Judah so they would understand why they were going into captivity. They would understand why this was going to happen, but they would understand that on the other side of judgment, there was mercy. And I tell you right now, here as you listen, there is mercy beyond judgment. The five souls who descended into the depth of the ocean, their fate was sealed the moment that little capsule of life collapsed. Were they ready? Were they not? I don't know. But I know this, if you are listening to the sound of my voice, you have time to make that decision. You can choose. The Chaldeans are coming, people. We read about that all throughout the book of Revelation. The Chaldeans are coming. Your only choice is are you ready to escape when the trumpet sounds? I pray you have a fantastic week. I pray you keep your eyes open. Keep looking at the news. Keep remembering that in the wildwood, things seem scary. But there will always be a light in the darkness. And the light is the light of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a good week. See you later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.